That's serious. This is not play, play business going on here. Eternal separation from God. And the fact is, listen to me, church. I say this uh, not in a condescending way this morning, but with a broken heart. The fact is, we all are as bad as others. We are. I'm not as bad as them. Yes, you are. You come into this world, all of us do, with a sin problem. Terry Knight, the pastor here at New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. Let me take just a moment and thank all of you that listen in from week to week. Uh, very few weeks go by that I do not run into someone in and around town, and they say we listen to your program a lot of these people I know, some of them I do not know. I don't know you personally, but uh, it's certainly a, a privilege to be able to tell you about Jesus, and I really do appreciate the contacts. One of the uh, side benefits of having this program is running into people around that say they listen, and I get to know them, and as far as I'm concerned, you're part of the, part of the family a part of the New Life family, and we really do appreciate it. Continue to pray for us, if you would, please, as we uh, continue to try to put forth a balanced Bible message about Jesus the Christ. And let me tell you what's going on here on this particular program. It's uh, the back half of what we started sharing last week, and we introduced to you a group of people that's trying to trap Jesus, some trappers trying to trap Jesus. They're using a woman, a poor woman, that's just a pawn in their ploy. And one of the things I want you to understand is they're not concerned about that woman. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. There are still people in and around religious organizations today, not really the church, but religious organizations, and they're not concerned about anything but feathering their own nest and pursuing and promoting their own agenda and actually trying to trap Jesus. They're not concerned about people. They're not concerned about sharing the gospel and helping people know how they may be born again. They're just interested in pushing their own agenda and uh, making Jesus look like something other than Jesus is. That's what's going on with this group. Well, they were in for a rude awakening. Let's jump right on into this. And let me, uh, let's see, let's begin reading around John, which is our text, John chapter 8. I'm going to be uh, reading the back half of verse number 6, and we'll just see where we go with this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. You remember the story I'm in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Hmm. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We'll see where we go with this. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one listening in. I pray and ask in the matchless name of Jesus that by your word you would speak to our hearts. 
Lord, teach us what we need to know. I pray you would correct us where we need to be corrected, admonish us where we need to be um, chipped away at and pruned in order to be more like you. We'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, you give a listen. I'll be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless. Any of you play a banjo? I do. And that fifth string is tight. That's where I am this morning. I'm a fifth string this morning. I hope it don't break. Jesus comes along and he challenges their religion of self. Let me do that real slow. The religion of self. And it serves to bring their evil, pitiful, corrupted nature to coalesce around an evil plot. Get rid of this character and we can get rid of the threat to our traditions and our power and our prestige. Look at the latter part of verse 6. But Jesus. I love it when I'm reading along in the Bible and there's some spiritual dingbats doing something spiritually dingbatish. And then it says, but Jesus. But Jesus. Notice what Jesus did. It says here in the New International Version, Jesus got a big stick and started slinging it around us and busted four of them in the mouth with it. Thus saith the Lord, is that what your version says? But Jesus, I love this. Bent down, there's some humility involved. I'd, I've been down, but I'd have to get Logan to help me back up. Bent down, he started right on the ground with his finger. For those of you from Saxpahal, his finger. Okay? He began to write on the ground. And as he did this, these people are ready to go. They're trying to catch him. They've got a plan that they've hatched. And he's bent down, doodling on the ground. And it says in verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, they just kept gouging, kept pushing him. What saith you? Answer us. He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone, to throw a rock at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Ain't that the coolest thing you done ever did here? That is just spiffy right there. These people screaming, carrying on, this disheveled, half-naked woman standing there in the temple, and he's down writing something in the sand. Now, alas, I want you to understand something. Her sin wasn't the only sin in question here. Jesus is about to get to the, down to the nitty-gritty. Fill in number six with me. We don't know what he wrote. There have been books written about this. The Secret Words of Jesus. For $12.95, I can bless you with that information. Hey, I'll cut you a deal on that. For $5.95, I'll cut you in on it. 
We don't know what he wrote. Watch this. But apparently they did. We don't know. I'm not here to speculate. I'm just telling you it was a brilliant strategy. And it must have been. Again, I'm speculating. But it must have been connected to their personal sin. What else could it have been? This sobering truth, watch this. This sobering truth has to be confronted by every soul from every generation. We all have a sin problem. I talked about that earlier. And if you haven't figured it out yet, sin is the problem. Sin doesn't evolve from problems. Problems evolve from sin. Sin is the problem. And will you consider with me, say yes, thank you. Sin is the great equalizer. Pastor Terry, what in the world are you talking about? From God's perspective, God's perspective, sin is sin and there are no degrees or graduations. Man says, watch this. Man says, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. So what? I'm not as bad as he or she. Isn't that what we do? I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as he or she. Jesus Christ said this through Paul. The consequence of sin's affliction is eternal separation from God. That's serious. This is not play, play business going on here. Eternal separation from God. And the fact is, listen to me, church. I say this uh, not in a condescending way this morning, but with a broken heart. The fact is, we all are as bad as others. We are. I'm not as bad as others. Yes, you are. You come into this world, all of us do, with a sin problem. You're all that bad. And listen, you might, everybody say might, you might just eat through this life and be rewarded by a lesser sinner for being a lesser sinner. I mean, they might give you a certificate, but that status is not recognized by God. That's not recognized by God. I got a plaque here in my office, preacher. I want you to see it. Some heathen presented it to me to prove that I'm less of a heathen than he is. I think about these things. Aren't you glad you pay me the big bucks? <laughs> in fact, Jesus illustrates, if you think that your sin can be less condemning to you, than another person's is to them, he illustrates that we need to think again. He says, you're like a, a man having a plank, a two-before in his eye, attempting to remove a little speck of sawdust from another man's eye. Isn't that the dumbest thing you ever did here? Mm -hmm. Jesus thought so. Verse 9, at this, speaking of the artwork in the sand and the inquiry, First among you, the, the sinless one among you, throw the first stone. Those who heard, the teachers, the Pharisees, 
began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. The assumption is the wiser ones first. The more experienced ones first. Only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. I love that sentence. Listen to me, church. This is a little parenthesis. Sometimes it may come down to you just there with Jesus. But you can know Jesus will be there. Jesus left standing there, just her and Jesus. Now listen, in this moment of sober introspection by which Jesus supernaturally engaged these accusers, for lack of a better way of saying it, he read their mail. And they admitted with their feet that it was they that had been caught, not just this woman. They had been ensnared in their own trap. We see that time and again in the Scriptures. The psalmist says, and this is from the Good News Translation, chapter 9, verse 15, the heathen have dug a pit and fallen in. Look at your neighbor and say, that's stupid. It is stupid. The, a heathen have, the de- heathen have dug a pit and fallen in. They have been caught in their own trap. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up. This is the second time he straightened up. When Jesus straightens up, you better pay attention. Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Well, watch. They certainly did accuse her. There's a process here. But obviously, they lacked the standing to condemn her. Are you hearing me, church? She was accused, but they lacked standing to condemn her. He says, where where are those people that come in here to condemn you? You're accusers. After all of that, Jesus turns his attention to this pitiful woman. And and by all indications, she is a victim of an evil plot. What happened to your accusers? Is there anyone left to condemn you? And I do want you to keep in mind that he's speaking of a legal court case that lawfully required accusers and those who were attempting to condemn someone. You could not be stoned. You could not stand for condemnation, beloved, without bona fide witnesses. So it was It was very significant what he asked her. Where are those people that accused you? Is there nobody to condemn you? Verse 11, she says, no one, sir. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. You've been accused. There's no grounds for condemnation. Neither do I condemn you. I'm not going to proclaim your guilt over this without a legal reason to do so. I will not be trapped. Fill in number seven with me. I want you to catch this, and I'm I'm beginning to close. Jesus never dismissed the fact that she was a sinner. In fact, he confirmed it. 
middle part of verse 11, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Did that not confirm that she was a sinner? If you're living a life of sin, that makes you a... Come on, help me out. If you're living a life of sin, that makes you a... I know we don't like to say that. It's a Bible truth. Go now and leave your life of sin. He confirmed her life of sin. She never denied, according to the record, she never denied Jesus' accusation of her life of sin. Now here we are in earnest with the closing. It even says on my notes, close. You know what that means. (laughs) Not a lot. (laughs) Here, listen to this. I am struck by, you ever been struck? I am struck by how often this passage, this last verse in particular, is either misquoted or mistranslated or misused and abused. For you see, the many that have either recognized that they are a sinner or they've been called outright in their sin. They love to quote or reference only a portion of this latter verse, the first part. Neither do I condemn you. It does have a nice ring to it, doesn't it? But we must of necessity finish the verse if we are to rightly divide it. And the scriptures tell us to study the scriptures in order that we might rightly divide them. In other words, that they may be interpreted the way God intended for them to be interpreted. And in, in order for us to derive the, the benefit from the, from the promise, beloved, it's necessary that we finish the sentiment. Consider with me, If she didn't follow Jesus' final instruction, leave your life of sin, then she would instead, she would depart from Jesus just like that bunch of dingbats did that kind of snuck away, those conniving accusers. She would be no better off than they. Make sense? And here's kind of where the rubber meets the road this morning. There are many who desire to believe that Jesus Christ's refusal to condemn her is His way of overlooking our sinful condition. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Digging deep this morning. Listen, beloved. That is one horrific misapplication of the Word of God. His refusal to condemn her wasn't and isn't overlooking our, either her or our, sinful condition. How do we know that? We know that because of what Jesus said to her. And we know, beloved, that what it was is it was His offer to accept and His offer to her to accept and embrace His plan of restoration. Will you say restoration? Restoring His restoration, His redemption, being redeemed, being bought back, His plan of salvation. It was His offer to her and it's His offer to us as well. Now, You may never have committed adultery. 
You may never have been a prostitute. You may never have been a drug into the temple courts and falsely accused. And the scriptures all twisted up on you, knowing that there should be two of you, there's only one. That may never have happened to you, but I'm here to tell you this. There's something going on in you from birth that will keep you out of heaven unless you accept Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for your sins and surrender your life to Him. And that's the message that they're trying to get, that He's trying to get across to us here in John chapter 8. I believe this is the most liberating challenge of all the Bible right here. Listen to me, hear me out. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let me tell you. You can find that preacher that will encourage you, and he'll throw out this unbiblical phraseology. You know, we all sin every day in word, thought, and deed. No, I don't know that. And I challenge you to show me that verse of Scripture. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that's going to hopefully point you to this and help you to know and understand sin will ravage your life. Jesus has a better plan for your life than that. Get in on it. I'm here to help you get in on it. Let go of that. Pastor, are you saying we become perfect? Are you one of those guys? Well, yeah, but what's your point? No, I'm not perfect, and you know that I'm. That's not what this is all about. Beloved, our imperfections is why we need a Savior. But we're talking about lifestyle and a calling and a biblical plan that God has put before us. Is there something in your life? You know it's in your life but you've been conveniently pointing at others and screaming to God you're not as bad as they are. You know that's not going to cut it with our Heavenly Father. Can you be encouraged to confess that thing, get it out and help repent and find freedom to live a lifestyle of holiness, walking according to God's plan? Is there some area of hurt in your life where perhaps you have been falsely accused? Can you be encouraged to know there's one that knows the truth? He knows it all. He is the truth, in fact. If you look around, he'll be there. And I can tell you this. If you connect with Him by Holy Spirit power and you follow Him and you live your life according to His commands, which means you love Him, that's what loving Jesus is, keeping His commands. And soon enough, as you sow that kind of seed into this present existence, the Lord will exonerate you. He will bring real friends into your life. He can pick up and will pick up the broken pieces and put them back together again. Isn't that great? You might look around and say, well, where are those that accused me? I'm not sure where they are, but I know where I are. I'm with Jesus and everything's all right. Praise the Lord. Perhaps this morning as we've preached on this sensitive issue, the Lord has brought to your mind 
someone that may be hurting. Maybe it wasn't you that was falsely accused. Maybe you know someone else who was. They need a friend. They need some encouragement. They need to know that Jesus loves them. Sometimes the only way people are going to know that is if we serve as His hands and feet and arms and heart. Whatever the case this morning, I encourage you to take that to the Lord in prayer. If you need to be forgiven, confess your sins. He'll forgive you. You need to repent. For goodness sakes, repent. Turn and go the other way. Leave that lifestyle of sin. If you've been hurt, look to Jesus. If you know someone that's hurting, go with Jesus. Sit down with them. Talk it all over with them. Help them to know that they know that they know that He didn't come to condemn. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Beloved, that's going to wrap this up. And let me do so by saying this. This passage, John chapter 8, is probably one of the most mistranslated, misused, abused passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. I want to point out something to you. Even though she was falsely, perhaps falsely accused and was the pawn in this situation, this lady, this adulteress that came, that was brought before Jesus, if she had not heeded Jesus' command to leave her lifestyle of sin and to follow after Him, then she would have left her encounter with Jesus just as rotten as those connivers that brought Him to Him to start with. So let's apply that to our own situation. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Are you just pointing fingers at those that you might refer to as hypocrites? And maybe they are, but you're just pointing fingers at them and saying, you know what, I'm as good as they are. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, are we as good as Jesus? And the answer to that is, no, not a one of us. None of us is as good as Jesus. So what do we do? What do we do with our sin problem? We have to yield that to God. And through the grace of God, we can be in relationship with Jesus by accepting what He did on the cross, shedding His blood for each and every one of us for our sins, and establishing a relationship with Christ, then we can be considered righteous before God. Again, it's through the blood of Christ. Not anything that we have done, not our works, for goodness sakes. Uh, the, the most brilliant, the most spiritual one of us, we're rotten to the core, and it's true. And the sooner we admit that, the better off we'll be. Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Are you just pointing fingers back at others, or have you established a relationship with Christ? I want to encourage you to do the right thing. Do the eternal thing. Do the thing that will change your life. Come to Jesus. Know Him. Have Him in your life and live for Him. Father, I thank You for each one listening into this telecast, and I pray in Jesus' name by whatever means that by Your Word, through Your Spirit, You would speak to hearts and that men and women and boys and girls would come to know You, not just in their head, but in their heart where it truly counts. May they establish a relationship with you through Christ, we pray in His name. Amen and amen. Hey, before I get out of here, I do want to remind you that New Life has a regular schedule of activity Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We'd love to see you. That's right, we meet every Sunday morning. We're here. Where are you? 
We also have midweek activities Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, something for nearly every member of the family. In fact, it is for every member of the family. It may just have something for you. Come on out and give us a look-see. I'm Terry Knight, pastor of New Life Community Church. I trust you're going to have a great week, what's left of it. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?